Ahoy there. Welcome to the Night Shift Football Podcast. We are, what have we got this week? Bit of A-League, bit of, bit of Premier League, bit of Serie A, bit of Bundesliga, bit of, bit of fucking everything. Bit of everything because there's just constant football. It's football nonstop. So what should we do for the next hour, Tommy? Should we just talk about football? Yeah, or impersonate our favorite pirates. Um, I'll go with Johnny Depp. Why pirates? Ahoy there. Is it because I said ahoy? <laughs> you think of you think nautical things. Nautical things. Yeah. All right. Speaking of nautical things, flares. <laughs> flares. Oh, dude. <laughs> this, Amazing. this is my uh, terrible attempt at segue from nautical themes into flares, which are a part of active support and ultras, because we're going to talk about a little bit about active support and the ultra scene in football because an article came to our attention this week out of the guardian uh, i read it yesterday Sunday no, the, the guardian November. the guardian what did i say yeah no the guard as if as if we're quoting a guardian article again oh yeah once again yes yes uh but shocking rise of fan disorder leaves league on facing an existential crisis this article comes about because nine games, no less than nine, have been disrupted or abandoned in the top flight this year in France. Uh, Staggering amount. Yeah. Did you cast your eye over this this story and uh, you got any thoughts? Uh, yeah, I did. It's. I mean, we knew there was um, fan drama going on in France because most weeks we go to talk about it and it's like, oh, the results were pretty, pretty stock standard. And most of the chat has been about the fans in the stadium. So you can't chat about that every week. But... Obviously, it, get, it boils to a point now where it's just happening so often that, you know, they've got some um, politicians, you know, the sports ministers quoted in this article, the yeah. heads of all of the players associations and uh, the heads of the leagues and clubs and stuff. Well, we'll get onto the clubs, but the heads of the leagues and stuff are coming out and uh, voicing their discontent about this. Yeah. It's um, existential problem. Maybe wouldn't be how I'd describe it, but it's because I think it is contained within the game. I don't think it is. Yep exacerbated by the outside factors that are quoted in the article some some of the time. Um, what did you think? What did you like about yeah, this? Yeah, well, so just on that, the uh, the quote in the article was about, um, about frustrations in society after coming out of lockdown. People are, have all these built-up frustrations and anger, and that's making people act a little crazy. Um, uh, the quote says, uh, society is anxious, worried, disunited, and quarrelsome. Um I don't know if I buy that. Very French. This is a, this is always a, like trouble with uh, spectator violence and things like that in France has always been a thing. It's just, it's a little bit more, more so this season. Um, yeah. It's, um, there seems to be, Marseille props up a lot in this. Marseille <laughs> and uh, Montpellier. Yeah. Montpellier seem to be more the aggressors. Um it was, I don't see, I don't know the history too much, but it looks like Marseille gets targeted most places that they go. Is that Mar- because of their ultras? Well, I believe, yeah, Marseille fans have been notoriously the villains mm. a lot. So um, they, they get targeted a bit. They've been responsible for a lot of trouble over the years. Um, but this year we're seeing stuff with like Marseille, Angers, Metz, uh, Lille, uh, Lentz. They obviously had that. Um, both sets of supporters ran on the field to fight each other, um, mm. delaying mm-hmm. the derby by half an hour. Uh, Montpellier, we've mentioned, they've been involved in a few, where one in, one where they attacked a, a Bordeaux the, bus, Bordeaux, bus of yeah. supporters. Yep, and attacked a bunch of people. Um, Lyon and Marseille again, another one. But yeah, that's 
nine games this year. That's that's a lot. It's wild. And, Fifteen uh, match days, so it's happening once every fortnight. Yeah, at least. And it's like we're well, we've just listed like eight or so clubs in the league there out of twenty that have been involved in this. Yeah, so it's not isolated to just one particular fan group. Um, the I don't know. I don't think the COVID stress that is cited is the reason. And I think the article points it out a little bit later on as well, because why are you not seeing the same reaction in neighboring countries in similar European countries? Yeah. So I guess it becomes sort of like a microcosm of French football, which might seep out into their, into their cultural um, way of like display. You know, they are quite, quite quick to take the streets and they don't mind standing up for what they believe in. But this, this just seems to be like their, going a little bit riotous because they have the yep. opportunity. Um, it says here, perhaps clubs have cut back on security measures, uh, trying to pinch a penny in the COVID times. Yeah. A lot of stewards were laid off and they went, they never came back to work. So Yeah, they've also talked about uh, clubs losing. I don't know how much these are. At the end of the day, the main reason is people being fuckheads, essentially. But um, essentially, yeah. stuff that you can control, they're talking about like, Lots of the experienced kind of stewards and marshals at grounds that have gone and not come back because they found other work during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, totally and I was I was wondering how much you think that might come into play because I think it's I think massive, yeah. I think it's massive. Yeah, from our experience at um, like going to Adelaide, we've been going to Adelaide United games for like twelve years and spent a lot of time around the Active Bay. Um, when you get uh, the same kind of stewards there that kind of understand the vibe, understand what's going on, and uh, you kind of build a bit of a rapport with like the supporters in that area. It goes a long way to helping how things are run. Most definitely, yeah. When you see, um, you know, uh, you know the more active members of the Red Army and stuff uh, chatting to the security staff in the in the aisles, you know, they know each other by first name. They see each other every second week. It is massive for that kind of um, integration between the security and the, and the active fans Um, in France, that doesn't seem to be such an issue though, because the active support or the ultras as they may be are encouraged. Like they are throughout all of this. It looks like they're really like treading on eggshells, trying not to offend or making sure that they continue to turn up to games. Yeah. And you were mentioning earlier that could be because it's very, um, cordoned like it's very sectional the active support is the main the majority support of the stadium yeah so like we have this thing i guess most countries are the same i was mentioned i was talking to you before about england maybe england maybe the exception where there's much more much more of a culture in england of just people rock up to the ground wherever they are they are and people will kind of chant or start songs and stuff in most of europe south america everywhere even in Australia, there's always like a designated kind of section of the stadium that is renowned for, uh, I guess, kind of taking the responsibility of making all the noise and doing all that. Um, creating the atmosphere. Having all the flags, creating the atmosphere, building the atmosphere. Um, there's just like, there's obviously this big, uh, there's a big gap between what we just call active support here and what are considered like ultras, um, borderline, hooliganism a lot of the time and that's where this treading on eggshell stuff comes from like the french like the french club uh club boards because they they don't want to upset their their 
those fan bases because they're the they're the exact fans that like we saw last season stormed the training ground at Marseille and attacked some of their own players and stuff like that. They yeah they will crash into uh, press rooms and press conferences to to make a point and make a protest about someone and often like intimidate and threaten. Um, Australia is obviously a bit different. We've just kind of got this. Um, it's just it's just very like looked at very differently and i think people in australia kind of take the way this this is looked at in europe um i've I've kind of lost what i'm trying to say here but i guess like active support in europe like with the ultras and things is how people perceive that to be here when it's not and hence we get a lot of a lot of trouble in australia at soccer grounds from uh, security teams and the police and the governing body itself um, with relation to active fans. There's a lot of like negative negativity around it. Yeah. When they're nothing like, they're nothing like what's going on over there. No, um, they said they were struggling to find um, like punishment measures rather than playing behind closed doors. Um, In Australia, you just get your face plastered on the front page of the biggest newspaper in the country and are called a criminal when you have not been convicted of anything. So yeah. when you look at it like that, dude, the discrepancy between the way fans are treated or yeah, perceived, like you said, is massive. And it's hard to understand sometimes this kind of, it's not passion because you're right, it is borderline hooliganism. And it is guys that I think feel um, the freedom to like misbehave in, in a setting where they know they're not yeah. going to get punished. And yeah. that... It's, that's why it's such the fine line between alienating the most important people at your club versus uh, criminalizing them. Yeah. And that, like a, the, A-League, the A-League got it wrong, I think. If you yeah. Well, there's like, a, there's like a blanket over... In Australia, people have this blanket they put over any soccer fan who chants or waves flags at oh, games yeah. is considered... Yeah is on the same level as like an ultra or a casual or a hooligan or just mm-hmm. a general active support. They're all viewed the same. Um, the Red Army in Adelaide have obviously done a lot of pretty good work um, with the club, like working closely with the club to organize things and get everything on board so that, because it was, it was a struggle for a while um, in the early days, but now oh, yeah. they've got a really strong relationship where the, with the club where they understand that, Everyone's in there to do the right thing. And sometimes you will attract people that are expecting expecting something a bit different maybe and think, like you said, they think they have the right to just act however they want and kind of mm-hmm. cause trouble and do what they like. Um, but that's not really so much the case anymore. Where, whereas I know when we started going to games, remember, there'd be like uh, one or two people could mess around in the bay and the club would kind of, you know, issue statements and kind of, you know, threaten uh, threaten the active support. Yeah, be covering their ass. And but that was also because then places like the advertiser and five AA and Channel Seven, especially given where the stadium is, yeah, located next to their studios, they were all over it. Man, they had cameras yeah. in there. They were just waiting for any slip up. Yeah. So I think it's been we've seen a reduction in both sides of that kind of aspect, and it's allowed for a much more amicable day out. There's also the argument maybe that the um, the Adelaide support doesn't operate like it did. 15 years ago. And I think when you had that corner of the MSC and there used to be genuine trouble between Adelaide and some visiting supporters, especially. Yeah. hundred um, percent. Yeah. Uh, so that kind of thing has dissipated as well. Like you really, but I think that's like, yeah, on that note, there was often like, 
even when when we were like young and stupid as well, we often got involved in just some dumb stuff with of, of course, yeah, other ground. And we look at it now and go, "Fuck, that was just stupid." Why did we do that, yeah. but like, <laughs> also, it's not like a it's not generally a reflection of like the active support either. Again, like it's no, not at all. No. It's just general people from around the stadium that are there with mates drinking, and they decide they want to go and you know get involved in some uh, some banter or whatever that then escalates and kind of. You know, we've had plenty of incidents with Melbourne Victory over the years and Sydney mm-hmm. a couple of Sydney. times as well. I was thinking Sydney too. Yeah, we had a couple with Sydney. Um, but yeah, just, uh, I don't know. Then you've got like the the North Terrace. We were talking about them the other week, how like kind of good to see them kind of, they look like they're back and up and about. I don't know if it's the North Terrace that's up and running at the moment. Or... Yeah, is that what they want to be? I'm not sure what they want to be called, but I imagine I it's um, most of the same people or... Yeah, a new generation of people. There's too know, many of them to be all new. I just know I watched a Melbourne victory game on the weekend, which we can talk about the A League later. But um, it's so important for all these clubs to have their active support up and running and making noise like that. Because when the Melbourne victory fans are up and in full voice, full voice. I know we hate the wankers, but man, when they're up and about like that, the league is so much better for it. Succinctly put, yeah, there's nothing more daunting than doing Melbourne away and hearing them chant Seven Nation Army after they've scored. Like yeah. that is, it actually sends a chill down your spine sometimes. Even just like you compare watching the games over the weekend, like watching the Western United home game mm-hmm. at uh, Amy Park. Grand total then, of 3,000 people. And then the Melbourne victory game at Amy Park and listening mm. to the difference in atmosphere, it makes a huge difference to watching the game. And that's what we need to sell it. Um, I guess we've kind of gone off track here, but I guess the whole point was just to have a bit of a discussion about the different ways active support and ultras and that kind of thing are viewed. Mm. Where do you come down on what the French guys are doing right now? What, what, what like, what's the way forward? Because behind closed doors doesn't seem like an option they want to take. So what, what do you do? I think what they, they look at um, closing certain sections of the stadium so I noticed last night the both ends of the Saint Etienne Stadium were empty, and that usually usually the I don't know what end it is, but to the left of screen I think it is. If you're watching for, on the broadcast, that's usually absolutely pumping. And last night watching the PSG game there, it was like silence. It's dull, um, wasn't it? And it was it was empty at both ends. Um, they've done it before with like like Dortmund uh, had crowd trouble yes. a few seasons ago against uh, RB Leipzig. Um, and they they were forced to shut the yellow wall for for a game, so it wasn't behind closed doors, but they they shut that one stand. So it'd be like if Hindmarsh were to shut the north end, like if the northern stand was closed for a game, yeah, and as then, opposed to the eastern stand. And you'd imagine if that was the case, a lot of the active supporters that are usually involved in that kind of thing wouldn't be there. You know, no, so I guess yeah, it's the exactly. same thing. It eliminates them from going to the game or it spreads them out around the stadium in other sections. Maybe not so somewhere like Saint Etienne, where it's pretty packed most weeks and you can't get a mm-hmm. ticket if you're not in your normal spot. So so who knows? But yeah. Who knows? Maybe it could be a point of keeping them in the stadium but putting them in different areas, splitting yeah. them up, putting them up higher, trying to just I don't know. Get reduce their uh, their yeah. access to the field. I think at this point, given how how many onrushes they've had now, yeah, it's the spilling onto the field and stuff, and the stuff outside the stadium. It's like most of what goes on in the bay is pretty pretty fine, pretty tame. Yeah, like inside the stadium, it's when it's they start d- spilling onto the pitch, 
or when they're doing stuff outside the ground. It's just, that's, you know, and it ends up giving football in general, especially in Australia, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. bad rap. America, these places where it's not the dominant game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think ultimately the sports minister summed it up and she um, was saying how thankful she was that she got her son into playing rugby instead of playing football after attending uh, the Andrews game. So yeah, that, that is a lot. the perspective. Yeah. All right. Well, considering we were just talking about them, we might just move into some actual football games. Um, you and I both watched the PSG San Etienne, I should say San Etienne, were the home side against PSG last night. Uh, wow, what a dull, oh, uh, kind of not not the worst game of football, but just no, like definitely not. Actually, the football was pretty good. I think yeah, it relates back to what you were saying about the lack of fans. There was no atmosphere, and the commentator was so boring. <laughs> it was very boring. How monotonous can you be to get a job in football pundit? It's just insane. But also, um, PSG don't exactly uh, light up light up the pitch, do they? No, they don't play. They don't have an identity under Poch, which is the biggest thing that I can take out of this. And it's probably because the players that he has at the club don't fit the system that he plays. Yep. He wants his front three to press and to drop, and they don't do either of those things. No, they don't. Um, very little work rate to get back. They kind of it looks like a four-two-four a lot of the time. Yeah. In which uh, like players like uh, Adrisa Gunagay are doing heaps of the grunt work. Oh my god! Every blade of grass that guy comes. Yeah, um, but they did get up in the end after they went one 0 down to Sanetian. They equalised on half time after a red card to the home team. We we should point out Sanetian are second bottom. Yeah, nineteen really struggling this season. Yeah, which is weird because they made the Coupe de France final last season, mm. um, and they've always been kind of in that in the top half. So they're struggling a bit at the moment, but looked like they were going to roll PSG here. They took a while. But PSG obviously eventually did get the win 3-1, but once again, just through, not through looking particularly good, just through having good individual players that get results. It was essentially the Messi show with his hat-trick of assists, especially yep. the second one for the Di Maria yeah. goal. My Lord. Outside of the foot, little dink. Oh, perfectly it just weighted. Lands, yeah. lands perfectly for uh, Di Maria just to step up and thunder yep. at home. Uh, that yeah, Messi was the difference without a shadow of a doubt. But you know, if this nineteenth place ten man Saint Etienne can perform like that every week, they're definitely going to get out of trouble. They will not be in the relegation zone for long. Yep, they were good. I thought they were really good. Yeah, they were good value. They might have deserved something out of it. The red card killed them a bit, took them out of the game a bit. Con- contentious red card as well. Yeah, maybe a bit of an even upper. Yeah, might have been an even upper for. There was an absolutely horrid tackle by Sissoko on Neymar. Neymar. Neymar cops a lot of them, but... He does, yeah. I think it's because he's the he, first he to receive... For it. He does ask for it. He's the first to receive the ball of those four, typically. He yep. looks to be the main outlet because I think he works the hardest out of the four. He does, and he carries the ball a lot from one half to the other. Mm-hmm. So he's yep. often going on some speedy dribble where some maniac comes in and lines him up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which not unwarranted, like we said. Yeah. Um, you made you made the point that Mbappe uh, impresses you a little bit less every time you see him. Uh, what do you think that's down to? Yeah. So I thought every time I watch Mbappe play, I think lesser of him and his ability because obviously he's a freak and he's a superstar. 
but some of the comparisons comparisons people have made between him and like players like Henri and stuff and uh, other absolute legends of the game and I can't help but think maybe his pace his ridiculous pace makes him seem a lot better than he maybe is I'm not saying he's bad obviously I'm saying he's a very good player and he's a superstar of the game but a lot of it comes from his pace because bit of a, a smokescreen you reckon yeah he he butchers a lot of chances He's not the most composed in the penalty box. And every time I watch, it seems to be the same case. Yeah, his passing isn't that great either. I mean, he did, you know, burst onto the scene with that incredible run in the World Cup where he darted in behind. Uh, was it yeah. Germany that they yeah. beat? Yeah. Uh, outrageous. And obviously an outrageous talent, but not in the right environment, I think, for, for No, me. he needs, uh, he probably needs coaching and he needs a structure to play to. Mm-hmm. And that would go a long way to helping him improve, I think. It's funny, though, because I reckon out of the four, the front four um, for PSG, Pochettino would want Mbappe more than the other three. I reckon yep. if he could get rid of the other three, he would make Mbappe fit into a style and a system that really like, turned him into a Harry Kane sort of lethal lethal finisher, total marksman. Yeah. Yeah, no, fair point. I agree. Um, you asked me last night during the game because we were both kind of watching it not together, but separately, you messaged and asked who uh, who could coach this PSG side? Is there a coach in the world at the moment who could coach this PSG side and get them looking better? Because obviously they win a lot. They win a lot. They're 13 points clear in the league. They're second in their group. But the Champions League maybe reflects um, where they may be, where they're lacking. Yeah, most definitely. Being having a guy that can organize a, a team for that, you know, ninety-minute fixture against City, which sort of looked like uh, the Champions League final, just like a like yeah. an encore to it, little entree. Um, and City, the last few times they've played PSG, despite losing two 0 I think last year, uh, comprehensively beaten them. And that's the difference between a structured side, a side that buys into the philosophy of the coach and what PSG are doing at the moment. I don't think there's a single manager in the world that could get this front three to work. Yep. Not one. Not, not one. Because you're not going to get all three buy into the same philosophy yeah. because generally you have to hierarchy and prioritize different players. Yeah. And once you pick Mbappe over Neymar, trouble. You pick Messi over Mbappe, trouble. Like, yeah. <laughs> these guys want to be number one. Um, when you asked this last night, I, for, bit i thought maybe pep based on what he did at barcelona but um i think that more came down to like what he did at barcelona and psg was more down to a bit more of a club culture yeah psg seems to have this uh culture of being a club that uh i don't know if they're taken too seriously by the professional footballing world i guess and it's like uh this chance to go earn good money and kind of run around with a bunch of other good players, uh, just kind of being out on the pitch, running about, yeah. doing your thing, not it's having a lot of structure to it. And then like, because I remember seeing an interview with like Thierry Henry. He was talking about Barcelona under Pep, where like he had all these brilliant individuals that you could just probably send out most weeks and they would do what PSG do mm-hmm. and win games but they wouldn't have won so much without their structure and without their discipline 
and it, uh, Henri was just talking about Pep getting everyone to play their their role in the team to help them win, and that meant for Henri that meant he was out on the touchline for a lot of the game, not being used, but doing his role for the team, opening up space, and then they had these trigger points like when Javi got the ball and he was like this far out from goal, you knew you were allowed to move, stuff like that. Um, once they got in, the ball got into that attacking third, everyone could run where they like and do what they want. Until then, you had a very set structure, which meant you have to hold your position and you have to trust the other players there to do their job. Uh, that's like the complete opposite of what I see when I watch PSG, where I just see Neymar drops in. Sometimes he gets the ball in like a holding midfield position. Sometimes he gets the ball on the wing. Sometimes he gets it up front. Every time he gets it, he runs with it. Um, Mbappe, I don't know if he plays through the middle or out wide. I guess they all just rotate, but it doesn't seem it just beneficial. Messy. It's not. It's messy though. It's not like uh, mm. <laughs> Lionel, um, <laughs> but it's not. It's not through design. It's not a design like rotation or messiness. It's just. It's just shit. <laughs> It's just how it is, yeah. And it gets they get to the edge of the box a lot of the time, and there's four of them stood still, on um, yeah. on the looking all of them looking to want to go into the penalty area and receive the last ball, but yep. none of them want to play it to each other. Yeah, and so that's where Me- Messi's role in this team has to be bigger than what he's uh, shouldering at the moment. It has to be more like what he did against Saint Etienne last yeah. night. He has to provide the goals. That's something less of them. I that's think. something I have noticed a lot each time watching them is. Uh, when Messi gets on the ball, because he will kind of he'll trust his teammates a lot more than some of the others will. Oh yeah, and especially Di Maria. He's he'll very happy it. to play in Di Maria. Yeah. He'll give it and run and look to get it back and then give it to someone else again. As you saw with three assists last night, but you just don't. I don't get that vibe with Neymar. I don't get that vibe with Mbappe. It's like, how can I? How can I score this goal from where I am right now? And it's just like pass the ball, pass it. You have teammates. As Santiago Munez found out, the ball yeah. travels faster than the man. <laughs> Thanks, Santiago. Thanks. What's his name? The Newcastle coach in that movie? Dunhelm. Uh, D- Dunhelm. Dunhelm. Is it Dunkirk? Yep. Uh, who cares? All right. That's enough of that. That's way too much chat than fr- uh, way way more than France deserves, shall we say? Yeah. In every aspect. In every aspect. Uh, just a quick note on Italy. Uh, Italy had this round where they do this every year where um, they all wear, if anyone saw any of it, you would have seen red marks on the players' faces, a little dash of red paint. Uh, it's to raise awareness for domestic violence, um, something they consider a pretty big problem over in Italy. Um, so they, they did that this week. That was That's good. It's a brilliant campaign and something that should be mirrored in Australia given our DB rates and you yeah. know, the scourge that is domestic violence. It is always present. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a nice little touch. The yeah, the, good the little retain, touch, I think. Um, on the actual football, uh, Milan got absolutely trounced this weekend. Uh, Italy kind mm. of what is has has moved around at the moment. Uh, Italy got uh, Milan got absolutely spanked by Sassuolo at home, and then other games. Juve lost at home to Atalanta. Inter won again, and Napoli won four nil. So. Uh, Inter closing the gap on Milan. Napoli move clear top on their own. Yeah, it's exciting. What's happening league. with what's happening with Milan? Undefeated uh, just, for twelve, two in a row, lost now. Uh, 
I can't remember if I said it on here, if I predicted that they would just fall away a bit. I think he did. Yeah, same he did. as last year. Yeah, they just they don't have the squad depth. Um, last night that wasn't an excuse. Last night they were just all asleep. Um, mm. They do desperately need a proper number nine, in form striker that's not a forty year old Ibrahimovic and is not a thirty five year old Giroud, but they need yeah. an actual, you know, an Icardi, a uh, not even a player of that level like a Balotti or someone like that. Yeah, just someone that's going to come in and score, score the goals. Yeah, but actually not just like stand around like Ibra does for 90 minutes a lot of the time. <laughs> Yell at his fucking teammates yeah. and the referee for no reason. <laughs> oh, he was king of the flogs last night. He, um, he had a couple of chances for tap-ins where he missed the ball. Like he had a fresh air swing at it. Good quality. And then other times where he people tried to cross it in and... You know, a defender would get there and knock it away from him or something like that. And he would just be standing there waving his arms at him. And then Ibra would try to pass it to someone and miss the target and then be blaming at them for not being where he passed the ball. And it's like, mate, you just, you know, and then he, when he doesn't have the ball, he just kind of stands there and walks back. It's just frustrating. I know the guy's absolutely class and he can finish, but it's detrimental to Milan to be playing with 10 men a lot. Mm. And I don't just think waiting he's good for enough him to pop up. He's, score a goal. he's not. He's not good enough anymore to act like this. If no. you want to keep playing, you got to be more of a team guy, and it's not going to happen. So yeah, remarkable career though. Gave up on it seven years ago. Went to America, and yeah. now <laughs> it's still. Oh, going. It's been it's been incredible, and he had a, an awesome year last year, and it's it's been good for the Milan fans to watch because uh, last time he played for them was when last time they won the league. Um, but you just. They can't get away. They're not going to win a title with him as their main striker. Like he's their their main man up front, and that's just not mm-hmm. going to work. Sounds like a little bit of the case of the Ronaldo's who uh, found himself sat on the bench against Chelsea. I wonder yeah. if Ibra needs a little time out. Maybe just be an impact guy from here in. Yeah, potentially, but they just. But that's that's my point. Is they don't have anyone else though. They've got Giroud, and he's kind of that's kind of a. He'll work. He'll work a lot harder than Ibra is, but he's also in his mid thirties and not capable of doing the job they need. Like I said, they need a striker that's in their twenties, maybe experienced, or a young striker, someone who can actually is uh, like prolific enough to score goals, like a proper number nine, but also isn't just going to stand there and wait for chances to score. Yeah. Okay. We'll see how they move in January. Yeah. If they have the funds, I mean. That's another question altogether. Well, they might end up with the funds because they want us. Uh, the board are pretty keen to sell Kessie, which okay. would He's probably be. Uh, I'm not sure, but I'd imagine lots of teams would. He's an absolute beast. He's a machine. I'd say he's their best player, and it would be a huge loss if they sold him. I think it'd be a step backwards because uh, they wouldn't be able to use the funds to replace him. I don't think. Yep, it's always a dice game, isn't it? Yep. Anyway. Um, Juve losing at home as well to Atalanta. That was cool. Uh, we all love seeing Juve go down. Sorry to any Juve listeners that we might have, but uh, eat it, I guess. You won yeah. for nine years in a row. You can deal with it. You'll be right. You'll It'll be back be one day. You'll win it in a couple of years or something. Don't worry. Don't fret. Um, yeah, potentially, unless all this off-field drama catches up with them. Potentially, yeah. That for next um, week. We can save that. Uh, just the other note was Juve uh, looking at there's two youngsters from Sassuolo who destroyed Milan last night. Raspadori and Scamaka. Scamaka scored an absolute top-in worldie last night. It was 
probably goal of the weekend, I think. Um, but they're looking at them. So it's kind of different to the what you've always done. Now, last few years, they're starting to look at younger players, players that they can develop and that are already kind of good first-team footballers that they can make better. So they'll be back. And they'll win a league in, in a few years probably. So it's just what they do. Yep. Uh, we'll just enjoy their demise for now. Yeah. That's why, yeah. that's why it's so important to revel in Juve and Man United not doing well. Yeah. We also had um, Napoli uh, a year on from Maradona's passing. They've been wearing, they made all these. Napoli have had like 10 different kits this year. Uh, they released a batch of Napoli kits with Maradona on them. But there's like, they come in the home kit, the away kit and the alternate kit. Oh, so there's gosh. three different ones there. They're very expensive. It's a big yeah. money maker. Um, they're milking limited. they're milking Maradona's death here. But um, they also unveiled a big bronze statue at the stadium. So with Maradona on it. It's a, it's nice. a Maradona bronze statue. It's not just like uh, a random bronze. <laughs> it's not, I'm just I'm someone that randomly walked by the day. It's, it's Maradona. It's a, a Maradona bronze statue at the stadium. A bronze statue of the guy that reported Maradona's death first. Yeah. And they uh, they celebrated that with a 4-0 win over Lazio. Absolutely battered them. So they are probably the favourites at the moment to win the league if they can keep this going into probably second favourites. Now they've closed the gap on Milan a bit. That'll probably do for Italy. Yes. Although by next week, it's probably going to be all upside down and different again. So who knows? Let's, uh, let's go across to our... Uh, <laughs> is it our favourite league? It's not my favourite league. Is it your favourite league? Nah, it's our bread and butter though. It's our bread and butter. It's what we know the best because we, we watched it all growing up. The English yeah. first division, or as it's known in the 21st century, <laughs> the English Premier League. Chelsea no, versus just... Man United was the big uh, the blockbuster of this round that everyone was looking forward to. Uh, how'd you see this one? Uh, just <laughs> another woeful Manchester United performance. <laughs> And it's, uh, yeah. it's funny, I've been copping a little bit of heat, especially from a few Man United fans close to me, asking to come on to try and balance out this, uh, this torrent of abuse that they seem to continue to attract. But I think have when we, you look at their... Have we said anything that's wrong? That's, what, that's the question. And so, I mean, I don't want to send an open invite out there, but if you have a decent <laughs> argument, by all means, pose it. But when you look at this game and Man, Man United's... Uh, XG of 0.02 at halftime. It's just, you can't sugarcoat. You can't, you know, brush yeah. that under the rug. They're not performing properly. This is one of the most expensive sides assembled in the league. Mm. And they're just woeful. Having said all of that, if you were to offer them a point going into Stanford Bridge this week, they would have all jumped at it. Oh my God, dude. I Carrick would have jumped at it. Your hand off. Yeah. yeah. As, a, as a United fan, away to Chelsea. They would have been expecting a expecting a battering here. Yeah, I uh, I was expecting a battering. I went to, I was up all night watching games. I ended up going, falling asleep like just before halftime of this one. But uh, just Chelsea just absolutely dominant. Had so many chances. When I got up this morning, I watched uh, like the key moments I'd missed from the second half. Like, I don't know how Chelsea didn't didn't win this, but yeah, yeah. If if Hudson Odoi could finish, they would have been or, dead or and pass the ball. Yeah, either one. Yeah, there's two options there, and he always chooses the incorrect one somehow. No wonder Werner hasn't scored many goals because uh, Callum won't pass him the bloody ball Give when he's when he's there. How was the how was the half volley that he uh, he shanked wide? Don't know what we're talking about. 
Yeah, yeah, no worries. How's that bet going? How about the tapping uh, chance? How about the tapping chance where Callum should have just passed it to him and he didn't? Took on a shot and it was saved. How about when he made the run and the defenders didn't follow him and they all closed down Adoy and Adoy took a shot instead? How about that? Dog. You are firmly in the corner of Werner. I love Timo Werner, aren't you? I love Timo Werner. I think he's great. On a serious note, he is actually a key part of this Chelsea side, even though he's not scoring yes. goals. No, he the is. guy works no, his he ass off. He, he makes so many clever runs. It's not working for him in front of, in terms of actually putting the ball in the net. But um, everything else, though, he's yeah, he's a he's a key part of that side. No, he looks very similar to uh, like Bamford in Leeds early on, where he wasn't getting sort of the plaudits or the respect that he deserved from the fans because they weren't really he wasn't scoring, and so they weren't. Uh, they weren't really looking at his movement and his press. And, you know, the thing that we were talking about with PSG, where you've got a guy that's willing to sacrifice his natural game in order to help out uh, the team more so. Yep. So no, PSG should sign Werner. PSG should, well, they should have kept Tuchel, <laughs> I think, is what should have happened. Yeah. But, you know, that's yeah. well in the past now. Um, I was just thinking maybe if Southgate had bothered to play Sancho, England could have replicated this Jorginho era and avoided. Ah. <laughs> that was, uh, there's, I get a smug satisfaction out of uh, Jorginho making mistakes. I, Do you? I don't why? know why. I, don't, I can't put my finger on I it. Know, I know exactly why. I, I know exactly just... why. And it's nothing why? to Go do on. with Jorginho. It's, it's, you don't like the Italian national team. No, I like the Italian national team. I thought they were good value for their mm. for their victory. And I like Chiesa and players like that. Um, this guy shits me. I think when he got put into Ballon d'Or um, chat, just, you know, basically because he was on a Champions League and World Cup winning team, that for me isn't enough. That's and not his fault. He didn't it's put himself, he didn't ring him up and say, put me on the list, guys. No, no, that's true. Um, but I think he did play into it a little bit. But I it just, plays I into wonder... why you enjoy him. Failing. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Okay. I just think he's carried a little bit by his midfield yep. partnerships wherever he goes. But I disagree. So yeah, I enjoyed, but yeah. I enjoyed seeing him screw up yep. there. Um, did score the pen, obviously. Did you enjoy him uh, making up for it with a <laughs> the penalty? Was it a penalty? No, no. Why? It's just... I don't think ever in, uh, I don't, yeah. Oh, in just... what world? What is, what, what has uh, Wan Basaka done incorrectly there? Nothing, or what's the difference at between the lunge that Silva has made at Wambasaka? It's the same thing. Like, yeah, I just not not a penalty, and we won't talk about Leeds. Um, but there was a similar thing where Rafinha was brought down in a, in, a, in a similar way, and there was no penalty there. And so it's, it's the, yeah, it's always the inconsistency of it. It's, it's always, always going to be inconsistent. I I'm happy to see them all not given like that. That's um, it's like. Because there seems to be this view that we can give a penalty because there was, quote, contact. Yeah. If that's the case, nearly every tackle on the park has some form of contact. Like, well, how is uh, a defender holding a striker at a corner not contact? So every time it's, a defender it's all puts contact. His arms Everything's around, contact. Yeah. It's the same thing. Um, they even do it when when it's not feet. Like, um, there was one in the. Did you see uh, the Arsenal Newcastle game? The I one did, on yeah. What's the Callum Wilson? The one on Wilson with Gabriel running in, and mm. they just—they're both running at the ball, and Gabriel comes in, it's shoulder to shoulder. He doesn't barge him over; he just makes some contact with him with his shoulder, which he's allowed to do, and he just—he's stronger. And Wilson goes off balance and goes down. I don't think it's ever a penalty, um, but a lot of people were making the case for it because of the 
there's contact, no contact and a slight wound. Contact, it's it's a not a non-contact sport. sport. Like, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Having said well, that, it, there there should have been a penalty in the first half to Newcastle anyway. But um, yeah, true. I did think that as well. I uh, got away with one there potentially. It was Odegaard just threw, yeah, threw someone to the ground. Yeah, bizarre act, man. Yeah. I don't know why he did it. Um, anyway, do you have anything else? A, no, anything I think we can move Chelsea Man United. No, yeah. I think we can move into Arsenal yeah. Newcastle now. Do you want to do Arsenal game. Newcastle? Yeah, good this? game. Okay. What's well, yeah, that? It's it's another nail in the Newcastle coffin, I think. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about it from a Newcastle perspective, I guess. Because uh, we'll just I'll get the Arsenal out of the way just quickly. Um, bouncing back from... Every, they copped a lot of shit for that 4-0 loss to Liverpool. But I think, like I said last week, it'd be a bit of an outlier. I don't think Arsenal fans expected to get anything out of that game. And it's more important for them to win games like this and win them convincingly and keep clean sheets. And they ticked yeah. all the boxes there. 2-0, clean sheet at home. Yeah. Um, for Newcastle, still yet to get a win this year. And now they start a big week this week with, I believe, Norwich and Burnley. So they're going to need at least a win from one of these two games, if not both. If not both. Um, um, I, they're probably fortunate that there are four or five really bad sides in the Premier League right now. And so they're not cut too yep. far adrift, even without a victory. Like you said, if they can get six points out of the, over the next two, I think it's Brighton after those two as well. So they've got yep. they've got a big three games coming up, season defining before they hit the big six. They play the big six over the New Year period and into January. So yep. it all really rests on this. So it's going to be very, very interesting to watch Newcastle. Eddie Howe doesn't look like he has stamped any kind of... It's early, of course, but they didn't get the new manager bump that Villa got. It doesn't no. look like he is playing any differently to how Steve Bruce was or any uh, kind maybe. of different players. They, they didn't either. play too bad, I didn't think. Um, they just they're just not good. They just don't have a good squad. It's not team. a good team. I don't know what any manager could do. It if you can find a manager that can make PSG play better, you struggle to find a second one to make Newcastle play better. At total opposite ends of the spectrum as well. <laughs> yeah. Unless John Joe Shelby is going to score worldies like he nearly did, then uh, they're in trouble. He's he's an interesting guy to watch because his passing range is just brilliant. His, his deep yep. balls over the top are so pinpoint and accurate and yeah. definitely a threat for this side. Any team that plays high up the pitch, you know, watch out because he's yep. going to pick someone out more often than not. Um, Another one that, I may I may cop it for this, but I think I've said it before. But Alan Sam Maximum, it's just another. I put him in the uh, Dharma Traore camp of not actually a great footballer, but would be wicked on the street Ooh. or playing futsal. Oh man, it just I very rarely see an end product product from this guy. He's quick, he's powerful, he's excellent um, at keeping the ball and being strong. I. At some point, you're probably going to need to see more from this guy. Yeah, he's not the talisman that you're looking for uh, to try and drag a team out of trouble. He's very flashy. He's a a flashy player. He's a form player. He'll hit a six-week period where he scores seven or eight goals, and then he goes dead for 10 weeks. Yeah. Um, And it is always reflected on, on the wider performance of the team. They finished Newcastle finished last season quite well, and he was scoring every week. And he's a guy that flourishes when the team's flourishing but he's not yeah he's not the guy that's going to make your team any better than what it already is yeah it he's yeah exactly um 
same like I said, same as the Adama Traore thing. Like really good burst sometimes. Sometimes there'll be patches where it just looks wicked, but most of the time it's just being fast and doing a step over, and that's not enough. It's not enough in a team game. It's not going to cut I it. Know. I don't know. I grew up thinking stepovers won games. <laughs> he was also kept completely out of it by uh, Tommy Asu, but uh, yeah. defender Asu that everyone laughed at Arsenal for, for their defensive signings, but uh, they've been pretty solid. Mm-hmm. And their keeper, you think of the whole back four with Ben White, Ramsdale and the likes. Everyone just wants to um, laugh at Arsenal, and I get it. Of course, but I'm not sure that you're going to be able to laugh at them for too much longer. I would have them tentatively in my fourth side for the end of the season. There's this uh, kind of disparity between people who are still expecting them to flick the switch and be like 2004 Arsenal again. Yeah. And it's just like, at what point do we stop expecting that? It's not a thing. You know, hopefully, this is hopefully now. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. We'll see. Ben White's been absolute class. He's probably been the signing of the season. He's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, not getting anyone to say that though. I know. I know. Well, I'll say it. Ben White has been superb and been an excellent signing. Um, if, we can, if we can indulge our own little analysis here. Sure, did, go did on. We not, did we not say Ben White would be a better signing than Raphael Varane this season? I, I believe know. we did. I believe mm-hmm. we did. Still a, still a few games to go. Night shift football one. Uh, someone, else, someone else is zero. <laughs> I don't know who we beat there, but whatever. Let's say Gary Neville. Let's just say Gary Neville. Hey, you watched uh, Brentford and Everton for some reason. Uh, I did. Why the hell did I do this? Do you want to give up? This is, uh, I'm going to put it down as multi-killer. I'm going to hashtag. Oh, gonna what's hashtag your multi-killer? Hashtag multi-killer this game. I did win a couple of multis over the weekend, but this one lost by one leg because there was only one goal in the Brentford-Everton game. I don't know who I put down as being the multi-killer, Brentford or Everton or both. I think it's combined. I think yeah. we should share the love here because they were both pretty woeful in They're front of goal. They're both pretty shit. I'm actually going to put it down to Everton because I expect them to be a lot better than they are. So, Okay, yeah, And fair. Brentford scored a goal, albeit a Brent, penalty. Yeah, Brentford did yeah. their job. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what I wanted to talk about was the penalty. I don't know if you saw... It doesn't really matter the foul itself. It probably was a foul. Um, it was a high boot on an attacker coming in. I don't know. Edge of the box. Contact wasn't the score. I don't believe there was contact. No. Townsend wins the ball. Been... Hmm. It's an indirect it was, free kick if there's no contact. It was it was close. I think maybe there was there the be contact. Sl- yeah, I, he wasn't bleeding or anything from memory. Okay, um, but for me, the the furore for for mine was um, despite this foul, the ball falls to Pontus Janssen, who has a clear cut chance to score a goal. Misses. Ball goes ball goes down the other end. Everton look like they're about to break. The ball trickles out of play. It doesn't really work, and they come back and give the penalty. Yeah. I think, I'm not sure that's right. I don't know that you get a double chance at that. Because they already, in a sense, had an advantage, had the I, advantage. What, yes. would have been, what would have been deemed advantage? Yeah, exactly. Mm. I, I mean, Jansen, anyone but Jansen probably scores. If it's Ivan Tony, he scores that goal. Yeah. Um, and then the penalty obviously isn't given because the goal goes in. So this looked mm. like a bit of double jeopardy for, for Everton, but uh, Townsend just making stupid challenges in the box, like, Get your head in there, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Townsend, Townsend. Which Townsend? Andros. Andros, sorry. I was, I was yeah. so confused about which game we were talking about then because I was <laughs> thinking about dud penalties and there was a few because there was just a few on the weekend. That's all. 
It was a few, but this was a very yeah. good penalty. I love the one step hammering that Tony uh, Tony delivered there. No yeah. fucking stutter steps, no stupid skips. Yeah. One step, bang, bottom corner. That's how you take a penalty. Well, uh, the night shift football team appreciates your effort in watching such a lackluster affair. Of all the games that were on last night, and that's the one you picked, so... Yeah, I have a habit Good of making a, poor, making a poor decision. Um, what was a more interesting game was Burnley Spurs, funnily enough, and it didn't even go ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell us about <laughs> it. Despite a ball not being kicked, uh, there are a few choice moments from this fixture. I think number one for me was uh, Dyche playing the absolute maniac he is, standing on the field in the midst of a blizzard, wearing nothing but the shirt and tie combination. There are guys literally in Arctic bloody puffer jackets that cover their entire face to their ankles. Yeah. And Sean Dyche standing there in a white shirt and a tie, wondering why we can't have football today. He's a maniac. He's, He's an outright a maniac. total nutcase. There, it's a blizzard. It was a genuine blizzard. They named the blizzard. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, um, what, like, I don't know. The, the, the snow was obviously pretty bad up there. Was it even worse or was it just that their pitch wasn't? capable of dealing with it it just for some reason it seemed to uh pull on the pitch more than uh like the watford leicester game for example where yep. it's kind of more sleety yep. this was they, they were shoveling it and it was you know it was okay. feet deep it was yeah, yeah right they must have no under soil heating or something Dice is out there in away. board shorts yeah <laughs> <laughs> waiting it's for vacation that time waiting for that tea lady to bring him his tea again before he loses it and throws a teacup across the pitch the maniac, absolute maniac. Yeah. Uh, the other, the other funny part of this game, uh, there was <laughs> a quick shout out to the American guys who travelled 31 hours uh, from Dallas to Burnley of all fucking places to see Tottenham oh Hotspur play. Oh boy! They get another another chance this week, maybe. <laughs> they potentially will. I think they're going to replay it on Tuesday. They're going to try and get it done real quick. Would they not have already had? They already have games scheduled for this midweek though. Oh, there's that's mid, true. Yeah, midweek right. games this week. Yeah, so yeah, this will punch. Yeah, they'll get another go. Um, yeah, this will punch this fixture out till next year. Then I guess. Yeah. Um, it's funny because we've got a large contingent of American listeners, so I wonder if they are listening at this point. And if you are, you totally deserve this outcome for supporting Spurs. <laughs> it was your choice, and you chose yeah. incorrectly, guys. Yeah. Now, yeah, big thanks to our American support this week. It's, uh, <laughs> went through the roof. We are big listenership, <laughs> big numbers, big listenership. Thanks for the support. The Yanks, for some reason, love uh, hearing about our failed multis. So yeah. we're going to lean into it. Yeah, it took off. So maybe that's where we're expanding. It'd be like Night Shift US or something. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I can put on a Texan accent if that's what we need. Yeah. Please don't. Please um, don't. All right. Shall we talk about the A-League? Where do you want to start with this? Should we go chronologically or I was sure. at? Uh, all right, fine. Uh, Woo Perth. Lol. Yep. Just lol. lol. Shit. Just everything. The, uh, the, I mean, starting off, how Sturridge is formed. Yeah, gross. Um, so I was reading today, uh, the, the director of football or the CEO of Perth has come out and said that um, it wasn't, it's nothing to do. It wasn't Daniel uh, Daniel Sturridge's decision not to oh, play. Okay. Okay. Right. Stay with me here. 
So the CEO has said it wasn't Daniel Sturridge's decision to play, not to play. Um, Daniel Sturridge himself tweeted that there's no way he would not play a football game because of a four-hour flight. Uh, yesterday, Perth owner Tony Sage tweeted that Daniel Sturridge was, didn't play because of the four-hour flight. <laughs> Great. What's going on? Amazing communication from the Perth crew as per usual. Yeah. Uh, it's always good to have your director of football and your CEO bickering uh, in the media, in the public eye, over your you know, multi-million dollar star signing who has played all of six minutes now this season. Yep. So part of Sturridge's tweet today was about, or yesterday, or whenever the hell it was, I've read it today. Um, part of that tweet was that um, the only reason he he got up for some minutes in that first round against Adelaide was for the fans. Oh, yeah. He, he did it for the fans. He loves the fans. Hold well on, Sturridge. What a great man. So... When this happened uh, Friday night, we just noticed that Sturridge wasn't playing and the commentary team didn't say anything about it. And mm. I couldn't find anything about it online. And straight away, we were just, me and uh, a couple other guys were just like, oh, this is a bit fishy. Like, oh, yeah. I, I still, I have my doubts that he'll see out the season here. I reckon you watch yeah. him disappear in a couple of months. Yep. I could I be think. wrong here, but, you know, I'm willing to put my neck on the line here. Say no, what. I- Whatever I have the same premonition, man. I have the same premonition. That's why I was so upset that we had him up first because I was like, well, we're going to be the only time he, he plays, basically. Did he not know where Perth is in relation to the rest of the country? Well, Has he never heard of the distance derby? Well, now this is the thing because Daniel Sturridge himself is saying that it had nothing to do with the flight and so is their CEO. But this is they're only saying this after the owner of the club yesterday said that he didn't play because... He didn't think he'd be able to contribute after a four-hour flight, which would tie into why you're asking that question. But Sturridge, mm. Sturridge does not have it that way. That was the owner. So who knows? Are we ever going to get an answer out of this? Is someone going to... I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. Um, I thought very funny Perth uh, crying foul again about a, um, a ball being out of play in the build-up to the goal. Yeah. Are these guys just going to accept... That they're a bang average football team. Like, you can't blame. It's two you weeks fucking in. hate Perth, don't you? It's two weeks in, and both yeah. games they're now attributing to the referee for dropped points. It's no, <laughs> no, that's not how it is. I agree with the Fornaroli goal should have stood last week. Yeah. Uh, not the Fornaroli goal, the goal that Fornaroli yeah. was deemed offside yeah, for. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but this ball was not out. Give it a rest, man. You guys were terrible. And uh, that's Western United's first win in nine games. And if you count on from last season, um, that's a poor game for them to lose home or away. Yep. No, I agree. Um, for Western United, just, uh, I don't know. I don't know what to say about them without repeating myself again. I shared my thoughts during the game the other night, but basically the, the Western United from the East Coast City playing in a stadium southwest of Melbourne, southeast of Melbourne as a home game. None of it makes sense. There's no one there. It sucks. Anyway, what was the next game? We had a... The next game was uh, Wellington Central Coast, where Wellington got up 2-1, extending their unbeaten run to 13 games now, if you include the last Mm -hmm. season. Mm -hmm. Uh, Have we potentially overlooked the Nucks again? They've started poorly. No, I said they've got some good young players coming through. You've just got to... Okay. You did have them bottom. Yeah. Someone's got to finish bottom. 
I guess. I don't think they're that bad, and I didn't think they'd be bottom, but I think they'd be great. But I do, I do put a bit of stock in uh, in old mate Uffi Talai as a coach. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's that. That's probably going to be worth a few points to them throughout the year. Definitely, and like Hooper scoring goals now. Uh, David Ball's a good player. Uh, if you can get Josh Atirio scoring goals once every five games, I mean, he's pretty dangerous. He's still pretty quick, technically okay. Um, they didn't dominate by any means against the Mariners, but they were definitely resolute, defensively okay. Uh, yeah, maybe I will have to revise their bottom spot after after 10 games, but nonetheless, these were the two worst teams, I think, of the weekend. Fair. On to the Saturday night game. So there was two. We'll get the Sydney one out of the way first, but Sydney MacArthur. Ooh, big result. Mm, one nil to MacArthur. Yeah, did not see that. Did you see? You didn't see any of this game, did you? No, I didn't physically see so it, this, nor did I predict so it. So this is, the, I believe, the first time in A-League history we have games on at the same time. Simulcast. How did There's it other go? Games? I heard um, they were going to try and red button it. <laughs> did you? <laughs> yeah. Paramount Plus can't even play one game at a time, let alone two. So... <laughs> Um, well, I mean, they did have two on, but separately you couldn't, there was no like Optus with the goal rush or anything like that. I'm sure it'll come later. Um, but yeah, I, I can't really add anything to this all, other than, uh, Sydney lost. <laughs> Happy with that. Do they look underdone Sydney perhaps? Uh, like I'm saying, is- we didn't see it. So yeah. <laughs> and the reason we didn't see it with the reason we didn't see it was because our boys, the Reds were playing Saturday night, Melbourne city at home. Uh, first home game of the year. I was absolutely devastated to miss it, uh, but a good friend was uh, had an engagement party, so I had to be at that. Um, but yeah, make your excuses. First home game, you were there. Tell us about it. I was there. Uh, good fun, good fun. Um, they've they're trying to incorporate like more pre-match, uh, I guess, kind of like entertainment areas since the eastern eastern stand is closed. They opened mm. up the north northern courtyard, so like where the players and officials used to park. That's now an area where you can buy food and buy beers and just generally yeah, move right. around. Yep. Uh, I thought the weather was beautiful. Uh, the space was okay. It was, they've obviously just, it may have been an afterthought and hopefully they build on it, but it's a really good idea, I think, and a really good draw card to get people into the stadium earlier. Um, and I, I quite enjoyed hanging around there, bumping into people, having a chat before the game. Yeah. Um, if you can get, I don't know, is it more beneficial for the club and for the fans themselves to be in the stadium prior to the game earlier, or is it more beneficial for the supporters groups to be at adjoining pubs and adjacent in the area, perhaps? I don't know. I don't know. I'm a, I've been a, I traditionally have been like a get to the stadium. Well, I remember we usually always started walking to the stadium about an hour before kickoff. So we'd get there mm-hmm. maybe have 45 minutes mingling around saying hello to people getting our drinks go to up go to us we like getting our spot as well um but i do think it's more beneficial for fans to be at pubs in the area i think um but yeah that's just that's just me personally i I think it's better off for those local businesses to get get the dollars in over the bar yeah, it makes more sense in that respect. Um, probably won't be something I do all the time, but it was. I think we got there really early because we were kind of nervous about how long it was going to take to get in, given that Highmarsh is yep. a double vaccinated venue. Got to say, all shouts to the organisation for this. Brilliant. D- lined up for like 30 seconds. 
Okay, so they maybe learnt from because last, last season. season, last season when the COVID check-ins obviously had to be done. Yeah. Uh, the the first games where we had people was a bit of a mess. Oh yeah, I think they just they distributed the the gate options better. Yeah. So you had to go to the specific gate that you were allotted on your ticket, um, but it wasn't. So just say you bought Northern General Admin, you didn't have to. It wasn't everyone going to gate 12. Like we went to gate one and two and three were open. So there was heaps, okay. heaps of ways to get in. And I just like all shouts. That was, that was great. There was no drama getting in whatsoever. Um, right. And the football itself, pretty good. Like entertaining football match. Yeah. Halfway through, got a little bit despondent at 2-0 down thinking, well, yeah, oil money. What do you know? It's going to be very difficult <laughs> to compete against these guys all season long. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, Cassini Yangi broke the game open for us and that really put City on the back foot who I did not expect um, to be that nervous trying to protect a one-goal lead. But Neither. we've seen it two weeks in a, a row now where Brisbane really got at them and I thought legitimately equalised and now we have equalised against them and they've dropped crucial points away from home, uh, especially with victory being so good at the moment. This is a big result for Adelaide and a very poor result for City. Yeah, so I think looking back, we had us losing our first two games. Yeah, we did. And then we said we'd take maybe three points out of the first four games. So we've got two. We could still end up with just two. But I'd like to think we get something out of Brisbane and we get something out of victory at home. Um, on the game itself, looked like we pretty comfortable with that first half early on, controlling it. A lot of the ball. I uh, mm-hmm. don't know how much we really created, but kind of controlling the game. And then obviously their class came through Mr. A-League, which uh, I'll refer to Jamie McLaren from here on out as Mr. A-League because he's just... <laughs> he's the December of the calendar, isn't he? <laughs> prolific A-League goal-scoring uh, striker. Um, he's like made for it and he just does it so well. Um, got on the score sheet. And then obviously Andrew Naboo, that goal. Uh, oh. Credit to the Adelaide United fans chanting at him. You're just a fat Archie Thompson. Oh, wasn't it brilliant? <laughs> that's, God, that was funny. that's great. Uh, but his goal, absolute class. We've seen him do that a few times, the old outside of the boot, yes. outside of the boot thing. I still don't think this guy should be anywhere near the Socceroos squad, but whatever. Um, yeah, and then obviously Adelaide's come back into the game. I absolutely in I love watching Yangi. Um, I saw someone make a comparison to him today. People will think it's ridiculous, but Yangi to Viduka in terms of in terms of how well he because he looks like a sort of player that's just gonna like he, he is fast and he uses that trait so well, but he also is very, very good at holding the ball up and he's so strong on it. And he he has that, you know how Viduka used to have that where he'd get it into his feet and his first touch would be where he wants the ball, depending on where the defender is. And then he'd be able to swivel and turn and play the ball out or run with it or something like that. And it just Yengi has that about him. It's a yeah. you know obviously not his his overall game is nothing like Baduka's probably, but that aspect of it, very very strong. And I love watching it. Yeah, I think that's a mint comparison because they both have that that first touch where it looks like it's eluding them and it gives the defender enough of a sniff to think that they can win it. But they know yeah. Baduka and Yengi both know they're in control. They know they yeah. want the defender co- to commit which is exactly how he set up the first goal and then beats them, beats them all ends up great shot, really powerful enough to beat Glover. Uh, We got a little bit fortunate with it bouncing back off of him. Yeah. You need that. You need that. And I think we deserved it on the balance of play. Yep. And then uh, just the scenes, 
It's, I, I messaged you and you're a little bit upset with it, but classic Hindmarsh night, 89th, 90th minute yeah. winner. Uh, winner, equaliser. It kind of reminds me of the Karuska equaliser against City a few years ago in similar vein. Yep. Um, what an outstanding finish from Ben Halloran. Just impeccable timing. I mean, the Naboot goal is great and I don't want to... I don't want to compare them because they're, kind of, they're different in a way. They're both absolute technique, but the poise and just, you know, the, the awareness of the situation of Halloran, outstanding. What a goal, man. Yeah, I was talking about this with a few of the guys I was at this engagement with. And um, honestly, I'm going to sound cruel here, but I think Halloran only scores that once out of like 10 Oh, okay. Oh, one of ten. Okay, that's okay. Maybe twice. Nah, nah. Maybe twice out of ten. Like I, I think he. I think that's a good ratio. I don't think he scores that that often. Like, I think he finds a way to really mess it up, and it goes near post, or like the keeper just kind of catches it, and it's nowhere near over him, or I don't know. Like he just he doesn't scream Mister Composure to me, Ben (laughs) Halloran. It was but, perfect though. It didn't but even that was perfect. Under, it didn't even clip the underside of the bar. Yeah. It just spun in perfect. one bounce into the corner. Yeah, uh, when you when you messaged me saying like one of those like you were just buzzing because like one of those high marsh nights, I just like ah, yeah. oh, it's just so like you know when you're FOMO like yeah, fear of missing out like, and it took me back to when there was I've always been pretty lucky with getting work off for Adelaide home games. Um, I just got my season ticket in the mail today. This will be my 12th or 13th year in a row. Um, just a bit of a, oh, look at me. <laughs> um, but yeah. Self-congrats. But like, <laughs> well, it's obviously something we're very proud of is our commitment Oil. to Adelaide United. And then, Oil. but yeah, it just took me back to that. There was that game I couldn't get work off for whatever reason or I just, I needed the money so I had to work. Mm-hmm. And that was the night. It was just a nothing game against Central Coast, but it was the night Mo Torre scored as a 15-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. And I wasn't there. And I was I was on my break at the time at work watching it on my phone and Motore scored and I jumped up and celebrated. But then I was also like, oh, I should fucking be there. Like, <laughs> it was just like it hurt. It hurt. There's there's only been a few times at Adelaide United where I've I've been like breathless with excitement. And I think the the Kamau goal when we won the league away against victory, uh, yeah. when we yeah. beat them one nil. And this moment as well, for some reason, just that Motore moment, um, amazing. That was brilliant. Yeah. And really, kind of Morks stole that first goal off of his toes. It looked, it looked more like Mo's goal than Morks, but I'm glad one of them stuck it away. Yeah, someone stuck it away. Um, just on that quickly, if we can, we had a bit of a discussion a little while ago on Facebook with some guys about like the, the biggest Adelaide United goals. Mm, yes. Yeah, like yeah, big moments good. at High Marsh. And I was trying to think of like the biggest, I don't know if you, can you narrow down like the top, like biggest goals or like biggest moments? At Hindmarsh Stadium, not home and away. Let's go, let's just go specifically Hindmarsh Stadium because that'll rule out um, the grand final, obviously against West Sydney, but um, yeah, true. Yeah, just Hindmarsh. For me, probably the Bruce Jusse goal against Melbourne City in the, uh, in the semi. Outside the box. Yeah, yeah, that, was, one, that was gonna be my number one, I think. Oh, dude, yeah, I mean, but you know, we can go back to the Champions League games as well. Uh, Robbie, Corn- yeah, Robbie Cornthwaite's header uh, against Kashima. Yeah, was that Kashima Antlers? Kashima, yep, yep. 
uh, Travis Dodd, Spawning Salmon. Yeah, the, Karuv- the Karuvchi game or Bunyodko or Karuvchi. The Uzbekistani yep. team with Rivaldo in it. We beat them 3-0. Yeah, Scolari was um, manager, I think. Yeah, Felipe Scolari. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was a memorable night at Highmarsh. There's been, we've been fortunate, actually, to have kind of microcosms of games where everything is just lit. The Karuska got... Uh, yeah. the, uh, the Awer Mobile winner where Gombao ran down the touchline and to celebrate yep. with him and lifted him up and like presented him like a young fucking Simba. Yeah. <laughs> How about the uh, the year after the grand final where we were losing every week and then uh, there was uh, Sergi Guardiola played that flick through for Mike Ocheng to score a late winner against Melbourne yes. City. Oh my God, yes. Yeah, that, our first home win of the year. Like we've gotten off track drastically because we get, uh, we just frothed excitement about, we love Highmark stadium. Hey, we do. I think that's what it is. And we just have so many good moments, so many good memories of the last 15 years of yep. being at Highmark. And this is just another one in a long line. And this is the kind of thing that we, I wish that we could sell to the wider public and say, you know, we're not the best team in the league. So we're not going to win every year, but you're going to have moments throughout the season that yep. feel like you've won. Yeah, that feel like you've won the league. That and they, felt. I walked away thinking that we had won the game, won the league. Like, <laughs> yeah, and they're going to happen in the best football-specific stadium in the country. Yeah, so, yeah. It's a, it's a um, shame that East Stand is closed. To be hopefully, honest, hopefully we can produce a couple more in two weeks because mm. we've got Melbourne Victory at home. So we'll talk oh, about. Boy. Did you see the Melbourne Victory game on the weekend? I saw snippets of it. I was working, unfortunately, but uh, complete control. By <laughs> this the is what I was worried about. I was worried about this with Melbourne Victory. They looked very good. Brisbane looked very poor as well, but um, they were just clinical. A clinical and unclinical at the same time. Like, if they took more chances, Melbourne could have been off and gone. But, oh, man, yeah, they definitely. were just – they were good. But they have, they've got really good uh, attacking third now, and the way they were interacting on the weekend is very dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, getting, I think D'Agostino is going to score bags of goals. Isn't he? Oh, he, that was a striker's yeah. finish on the and weekend. I'm getting very into happy that to post area. I know it's Melbourne victory, but I, he should be at a big A-league club. I think he needs to be. I'm thinking from a Socceroo perspective here. Um, and I really want this guy to be good. So as much as I don't like Melbourne victory, I'm really hoping this guy has a big year. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that he um he didn't care about scoring against his former team either. He's like, ah, fuck it. I'm gonna go nuts. Yeah, I love that. Victory. Let's do it. <laughs> I like I would have been more ha- I would have been I would have preferred giving him minutes over Duke in the recent uh Socceroos games. Yeah, that's uh, it's another conversation I, well, I still altogether. Think we've got Jamie McLaren here as well that for some reason it cannot get a fucking gig. It doesn't yeah. make any sense. But um, we digress Daggers, again on the soccer. Yeah, Daggers game, would have been a good, you know, when we were racking up the record breakers, that's where Daggers should have been playing. But yep. irrespective. Yep. All right. Um, there was another game. Yeah, West there? Sydney drew 2-2 with yeah. Newcastle Jets. That's right. I didn't see any of this because I... I had to go to work after the Melbourne victory game, but uh, did you catch any of that? Yeah, I saw a little bit of it on the way home. Uh, Mikutadze scores, which is good. Really nice penalty. I think he is going to assume his role as a Jets legend if he hangs around. He, um, yeah, I forgot to mention him last week when we did the pod, but I know they lost to they lost to Central Coast, but he looked he looked really good. Uh, his he touch and his movement player. and stuff. He looks like a proper player. So. Um, if Newcastle can get their shit together with him, 
They could be they could be a bit better. They won't they be good, but they'd be better. Yeah, they won't be good, but they will take points off of uh, the sides that find them are bogey. So Melbourne victory will probably drop points to Newcastle again. Um, Newcastle will go and do some damage at places, but they're, they're not a top six side by any means. I think yeah. the big conversation is about Western Sydney, who sure. just continually cannot get the job done. Uh, Abini scores a really nice goal, uh, decent volley, but... I think there's, there's a really good comparison now between Popovich's victory and Carl Robinson's Western Sydney. And yeah. one side, Popovich's side, look like they know what they're doing. And Carl Robinson's side still doesn't no. look like they know what they're doing. No. This is the make or break season. They looked pretty similar against um, Sydney in the derby round one. They just could barely get their foot on the ball. They, I don't know why they... For some reason, there seems to be this... It's just the New South Wales and Australian football thing where like West Sydney Wanderers are seen as some massive club up there with like victory in Sydney when I think they're like, they're probably behind us as a club, I think. I would assume overall. so, yeah. Um, I, I know they, they got that Champions League. Uh, we'll put a lot of that down to Popper. Um, but yeah, they just, uh, they don't have a lot to show for their being around the mark mm. in terms of trophies, in terms of trophies and things. Exactly. They've lost more grand finals than any other team. Um, they did, they've got uh, one league title to their name that first yep. season, which was excellent. Um, but they're just... And they're full of side. this, like, this uh, in this trap of just recycling A-League players. Taking A-League players from other clubs that are being recycled, where I much prefer our approach of, like, getting in youngsters and giving them a crack. I don't it know. Does, it does. It seems like an antithesis to the idea that Western Sydney is the heartland of Australian football, and yet they're not promoting or bringing any guys through from their local area. Yes. Yeah. Bonkers. But on the flip side to that, Jack Rodwell actually looked really tidy in this game. A couple of yeah. chances. Uh, just he created off his own back, basically, through his good footwork and his, his uh, uh, general just know-how of being in the right area at the right time. He could be... If they can keep him fit, he could actually be a weapon for them in a midfield three of Antonis and Ugarkovic. So that's another one to look out for, perhaps. Yeah, he could be. That's a. You said that they would be. Did you have them as the best midfield going? Ugarkovic and Antonis. You had them behind. Um, who did you yeah. have? Yeah, City to win it. Who? No, but who did you have as the? Um, you said the best midfield pairing in the league. Oh yeah, Antonis and Ugarkovic. Yeah. Antonis and Ugarkovic. Yeah. No, they yeah. are a very good complementary midfield. If you add Jack Rodwell to that, they could be good. Uh, they yeah. just need to get their shit together. And I don't know if Robinson's good enough for them to get their shit together. I don't, I don't think, think the rest of their either. squad is either, to be honest. So, I, I wonder. They've still got guys to come through. Uh, some of their imports need more minutes. I just think it's Robinson. I, he's not the guy to do it. And yep. I reckon after 10 or 12 games, he might be out of a job. Oh, huge call. Yeah. Calling sackings after 12 Put rounds. that one in. Yeah, I think he may be the first sacking of the season. All right. I'm going to note that down and we'll revisit yeah. that. Yeah. Good. good all good, right. Good. Yeah, hold um, me to account, please. All right. We've gone on a fair bit today. It's been a bit of a long one. We've had some, we good, have, yeah. some good chat, some good discussion. Uh, I came into this pretty dry as well, so this is good. Yeah, good. Um, yeah. If you like what we're doing, obviously, get around us on the social medias. Get around us on Insta, Facebook. We're trying to get more involved on there. Communicate with us, get in touch if you've got any rigged or shit nominations or multi-killers you want us to talk about. That's always good. Um, yeah, we love the feedback. We love the support. So keep getting around it. Cheers. Um, see you next week. Thank you, Al. Yeah. Bye.